Amen. Acts chapter 10, verse 34, starting in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, and going all the way through chapter 11, verse 18. So Peter has heard from Cornelius why he was sent for. Peter says, why did you send for me? Peter, ex I mean, Cornelius explains, and now Peter begins to speak. Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, ethnos, ethnic group, the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him up from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, returned to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me 
and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning on the day of Pentecost. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You know, when Peter starts to speak to Cornelius and the others, and it's a beautiful record, right? Beautiful summary and, and uh, just reiterating those things that we had read even last week. But when Peter starts to speak to Cornelius and the others, he says to them, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. What does he mean by this? Because if you read that, would you, would you say, well, is Peter saying that a God-fearing person who does what is morally right is saved? No, actually he doesn't. And if that were the case, if it was true that that's all it required, then Cornelius wouldn't have been told to send for Peter, right? But in fact, and in fact, when Peter returns to Jerusalem and he's recounting what happened in verse 14 of chapter 11, 11, 14, he says, Cornelius was told to send for him because he, Peter, will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. So it wasn't that just because Cornelius was a God-fearing man, just because he was moral or trying to do the right things, because he was helping the poor, that alone did not mean that he was saved. But rather, he has to send for a messenger who explains to him about Jesus, and in accepting and receiving Jesus, he is saved. So Peter comes to him, Peter comes there and tells them how to be saved by belonging or believing in Jesus. Remember in Acts 4, when Peter is before the Sanhedrin, he had healed a lame man. They're like all in an uproar. They bring Peter and John before them. They're questioning them. And in Acts 4, Peter has a very similar statement, right? He says, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In that instance, Peter is speaking to those that are keeping the law, that know Yahweh. But he's speaking to them and he's saying, salvation comes only through Jesus. And it's Jesus himself who in John 14, chapter, chapter 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So salvation is in no other than Jesus. So well, how should we understand this, this statement that Peter is making? Well, the Bible says 
that creation all around gives testimony, lets people know that there is a God. Right? And the Bible speaks about this, and we will start to see this as Paul goes into ministering to the Gentiles and speaking to them. I mean, here when Peter is speaking to Cornelius and the household, these are already people who are somewhat aware. They've already paid attention to Yahweh. They're already God-fearing. But you will see in later instances in the book of Acts that when Paul is going out and preaching and speaking and giving witness about Jesus, he speaks to people who don't even know about Jesus. And in that situation, he speaks to them first about God, not just the fulfillment of prophecy or the law or the things that these folks here that Peter is speaking to can already relate to, right? So you'll see those kinds of differences. But what, what Peter is referring to when he speaks like this, he's speaking about the fact that there are residual references in all cultures, in in almost every culture that you can think of, you can or examine, there are these references, there are these memories, there are these residual things of the mind, stories that they have of a true and living God. And you will find that there are people who, who, who turn and who say, there must, be, there must be a God. I've heard, I know, I, I, somewhere there's some recollection of a God. And then, we, the Bible tells us that our conscience prompts us, tells us, this is right, this is wrong. There's a, there's a prompting that even for the most ungodly person, there's some sense of moral right. They, they, you know, you don't have to go, to go very far to say to somebody, when you have to say to somebody, look at this person, a serial killer, they murdered people, do you think that that's right? And they will say, oh no, that's terribly wrong. They should never have done that. What, what is it in people that causes them to even respond in that way? That this, there's this idea that there's some moral rightness and there's some immorality, there's some moral wrongness that we should avoid. That even if they don't worship God, they say, ah, this is, this is not right. right. People speak in those terms. And what is true is that these, and, and the Bible speaks about the fact that there is this inherent vacuum in us. There is this, this, this need in our, in our souls to be filled with God. The creator that had made us in his image and intended for us to be in relationship with him, when that relationship is broken, there is this vacuum in people. There is this gap. And people desire, without even being able to articulate that, they desire to know God. So what Peter is referring to is that in all these ways, people start to seek God or they, they, they turn to God. They try to look for God. And all over the world, the Holy Spirit enlightens minds and energizes wills so that people's hearts and minds start to get prepared. And as they seek God, as they seek to do what is right, then God's grace starts to move and prepare their hearts so that faith can rise when they hear 
the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we are commissioned to take the gospel and tell people about Jesus. We don't know in what circumstance they may have started to call on God. We don't know if we are the first person to tell them about Jesus or the hundredth person to tell them about Jesus. But through all of those interactions, God is working. God is moving. He's not showing favoritism. He wants for all people to be saved. And so we go and we tell them to our neighbors, to our colleagues as the Lord leads us, to our family members. We just tell them, Jesus, there's no other way to be saved. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the means of salvation. And when you call out to him, he will respond. I'll come back to this in just a few minutes, but as we consider the rest of this passage, so that's how Peter starts out. He says, oh, I see that there's no favoritism. I see that God is not just dealing with his chosen people. It was through his chosen people that his plan had to be fulfilled. But his plan is really for the whole world. It's for everybody. He's, no, he's not a respecter of people or persons. He wants us to come to him. Oh, I, you know, and, and Peter is declaring that. He's realizing that. His mind is continuing to be transformed. But as we consider the rest of this passage, I want to look at it in terms of how it defines or gives a structure, a framework for a pattern for our lives. And if you think about it, this event is the first sort of larger scale proclamation of the gospel to an entirely non-Jewish audience that we have in the Bible, right? So this is an entirely non-Jewish audience and Peter is declaring the word like this and he's telling them about Jesus. So from that first instance, we have some things that we can note, we can see as examples, we can see a pattern and we can say, okay, this helps me to understand how I can present the gospel and how the body of Christ can be built up. In our uh, nightly prayer meetings during our 21 days of prayer and fasting as we've been praying through Proverbs 1 through 4, we've been specifically praying for wisdom, discernment, and discretion, right? The wisdom of God, the discernment of it to know what is right and wrong, and the discretion to speak only what is necessary. So we've been praying about all of those things. But one of the most important areas of our lives where the wisdom of God is manifest and where discretion comes into play, where discernment has to be in, in evidence, is in our relationships with people, how we interact with people how we uh, say something or don't say something to them. And we are dependent on God to transform our minds so that we are compassionate and loving towards others. We don't show favoritism. We're not prejudiced. We don't call anyone impure or unclean. But in order to have godly relationships with people, healthy relationships, not codependent, not you know, unhealthy in different ways, but healthy relationships with people, in order to have a relationship that is mutually edifying, we need to have relationships that are characterized by humility, by honesty, by servant care and servant hearts, serving one another, helping one another. We have to have relationships that are characterized by kindness and grace, gracious words. 
and generosity. These patterns of behavior, these patterns of interaction, these patterns of how we would be in relationships with people are possible only if we are anchored in the truth of God's word and in the power of his Holy Spirit. Otherwise, how can we do this? It's impossible, right? You may do it for a while. You may do it for a few days, months. But at a certain point, you get tired of it. You know, you're like, ah, oh, man, you know? So we need, we need these anchors, these ways in which the Lord would structure and order our lives so that there's a pattern, there's a, a clear way in which we live it out, live out these truths. And when we do that, that pattern, that picture becomes visible to others. Not some part of it, not obscured, not partial, they see the big picture of God's work in our lives. And they look at that and they go, wow, beautiful. Wow, I mean, you know, noteworthy. Wow, I want that, right? I mean, you don't, when, when, when something that is very beautiful, when, we, when, it, when you see that pattern, when you see that, it's a, you, you, it affects you, right? And, and, and you say, wow, that, that, that's wonderful. That's what the pattern of our lives need to demonstrate to people around us. That it will be so beautiful, so noteworthy, so eye-catching, that they'll say, wow, God is at work in you. And I want God to work in me. So, the main events that we read in this passage, Peter's speech, the outpouring of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles, their baptism in water, and the acceptance of the Jewish believers in Jerusalem of the Gentile believers, all of these events that we're reading about, it basically highlights four things. Four main anchors or pillars for our life. Very simple. Believe in Jesus. Be water baptized. Be filled in the Spirit. Be in fellowship with the body of Christ. That's really what this passage is about. Now, in this passage, number two and number three are in a slightly different order. These people who are listening to Peter are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then Peter says, oh, well, you know, what stops them from being baptized in water? Let's, you know, and they all get baptized in water. But typically, typically, it would be that you believe and are baptized. So one and two tend to go together or tend to be, you know, similar of similar action as such. And then there's the subsequent experience and subsequent truth of being filled in the Spirit, being baptized in the Spirit, of receiving the gifts of the Spirit, and so on. And that goes together with being in fellowship, that as we receive the Holy Spirit, we're joined together with those that are of like mind, like accord, and united in the same Holy Spirit. So one and two tend to go together, two and three, I mean, pardon me, three and four tend to go together but when our lives are defined in these ways, in these, with these sort of anchors to them, these are the defining points of our life. And it's not just about the fact that it happens one time at the beginning of our walk with God. These are continual. We continue to reaffirm our calling, 
our election in Christ. So we reaffirm the fact that we believe in Jesus. We don't just say, yeah, 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 I, I believed in Jesus 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. You know, it's done. No, we continually reaffirm. We say, yes, this is what I believed in. This is what I believe in. This is what I'm continuing to believe in. We reaffirm the truths of the Lord and the message of salvation. And then when we are baptized in water, that's a one-time thing, but we are continuing to affirm. In fact, every Sunday morning, we do this here in church. We say we are dead into our old self and we are resurrected to new life in Christ Jesus. And so we continually do this. And then, of course, in terms of filling of the Spirit, even though there can be a subsequent experience, an initial experience, an initial pouring out of the Spirit, we want to be filled with the Spirit continually, all the time, so that there's no room for any other Spirit, that there's no room for anything else that would come and try to control or take, take over in our hearts, in, in our minds. Like Rather, we would be so full of the Spirit that's what overflows from us. So we have this notion of being filled with the Spirit and then being in fellowship with the body of Christ. That's not one time. That's not for a season. That's not just when you have young children. That's not when you are an empty nester. That is for all of your days that you would say, I am in fellowship with the body of Christ and I am in worshiping, I'm worshiping him along with these, my brothers and sisters, in this local church, as the Lord has called me and planted me there. I am a tree of living, a tree that's planted, you know, beside living waters. I'm bearing my fruit in season, right? So there's all of this that's going on. So let's look at this just in a little bit more detail as you look at each one of these phrases from this specific passage. So, believing in Jesus, Look at, how, look at how Peter describes Jesus in chapter 10, verses 36 to 43. He says, Jesus is the Lord of all. Who is the Lord of all? He says, Jesus. What would these people and the Jewish people and anyone else who knew this true and living God, who would be the Lord of all to them? Only God. What is Peter saying? Jesus is fully God. Second, he says, Jesus came in fulfillment of prophecy and ministered in Judea and in the area of Galilee primarily. But he walked around in this earth. He did all these things. What's he saying? Jesus was fully man. Then he says, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit to do good, heal, and deliver those who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. What's he saying? Jesus was filled by the Spirit. He was filled in the Spirit. Then he says, Jesus chose the disciples, us the disciples, to be his witnesses. He chose us before he died and he spent the time with us and then he chose to reveal himself to us after he was resurrected so that we would be confirmed in what we had heard before he died and now we would be confirmed in what he has done as he has been his return to life and now we would take that message out to the world. What's he saying? Jesus is continuing his ministry 
through us. And then, to, to do what? To build the church, right? To create the church. Then he says, Jesus is appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. What's he saying? Jesus will return. He didn't just die and come back to life. He didn't just work through us. He will return. There is a day of judgment. There is coming this time when all of these things will be fulfilled. Jesus will return. And then finally he says, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. What's he saying? Jesus is the only means of salvation. So, uh, and, and, and let me make this one point clear, that when Jesus is the, that when we say we believe in Jesus, right, believe in Jesus, that's what, that's what this point is. When we say that, since Jesus is the word of God made flesh, since he's the wisdom of God personified, since he's the way in which we walk, since he's the fullness of life for us, since he's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, when we believe in Jesus, when we say we believe in Jesus, we are believing in and applying his word, we are praying for and living according to his wisdom, we are willingly and obediently walking in the days of our lives in the path of light and life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So all that is implied, right? When we say we believe in Jesus. This is not just a mental, yep, I believe that Jesus came as a man. He lived in this earth. He did some miracles. Yep, historically, yeah, that's probably the case. Lots of people can say that. But what we're saying is when we say we believe in Jesus, all of these things are true for that, right? So here's the thing, you know, we, we sometimes struggle and we say, how should I tell somebody about Jesus? What I, well, I'm not very good at, at witnessing, at, at outreach, at evangelism. I, I, you know, I'm not very good at that. The, he is really good. She is really good. Uh, they have a, you know, they're, they're extroverted. They have good personality. They're very articulate. Let them tell somebody else about Jesus. But I, I, I don't even know what I could say. Well, here's... A great example. It's very simple what Peter does. He says, Jesus is God. Jesus was man. He came and he lived and he ministered like this. And this was all in fulfillment of prophecy and everything else. Jesus was anointed. Jesus had the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus will return. Jesus chose us. Pardon me. Jesus chose us. And so the work of Jesus is continuing today. He's living today. He didn't just die and remain dead. And then guess what? He's going to return again. And so in light of all of that, I want to tell you that if you believe in Jesus, if you accept these truths, if you receive him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. That's all you're really saying. Now, you may not say it in exactly those words. You may not say it all at the same time. It may be a conversation with somebody. You may be getting to, you know, be led by the Spirit to share that as they will pay attention to it. But that's all that, is, that there is to this message of Christianity. It's a very simple message. Right? And so when we do that, when for everyone here, everyone listening, who already believes in Jesus, this is a great template, a great, great pattern, a great example that you can use. That you can say, okay, this is how I can tell somebody else about Jesus. 
But for everybody who is listening, who doesn't believe in Jesus, who has been hesitant, who's been resistant, who's saying, oh, I'm not sure if this really makes sense. And maybe it works for you, but it doesn't work for me. Maybe, you know, and, and I'm living a good life. I don't, I, you know, I don't cheat on my taxes. I don't, I don't cheat on my wife. I don't cheat at work. You know, I, I've never killed anybody. I'm okay. If that's you, if you have really never actually believed in Jesus, then I challenge you that these simple statements that Peter makes, you would actually examine them. You would actually say, is there any truth to this? Is there any merit to this? What prompted this man to make all this effort and to do these things? What prompted these people? What caused this early church to be willing to give up their lives for the sake of this gospel message? And I assure you, as we just said earlier on, if you will seek the Lord, if you will say, God, I want to know you, he will reveal himself to you. So, believe in Jesus. The second thing there up on the screen is this, or the second point is to be baptized in water. Now, we considered water baptism in more depth when we went through Luke chapter 3. And so I, I encourage you, refer to that message, go back and listen to it. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail in, in about baptism itself in this morning's message, except I want to say this. I want to remind us that water baptism is the external and public declaration of our faith in Jesus. We believed and therefore we profess. We believed, we received, we accepted, and therefore we declare, we proclaim, we tell people we were dead in our sins, but now we have been buried in the old man. The old man is no longer alive, and now we have been raised up to new life in Christ Jesus. By going symbolically into the water and coming up in that way, we are stating out loud, not in words, but in our action, that we are with Jesus. That's what the message of baptism is. We're saying that we're identifying with him for the remission of our sins. So believing in Jesus and being baptized in water are closely related. Let me keep moving. The third thing there is being filled in the Spirit. As Peter is speaking, it is clear that those who are listening to him are believing in and receiving Jesus. They, had, they didn't know about Jesus. They knew they're God-fearing. They're, they're eager to hear the truth, but they didn't know about Jesus. But as Jesus is spoken to them, as Jesus is declared to them, it's very possible that Peter said more. Luke has recorded the important things for us. Maybe Peter said a little bit more. Maybe it wasn't just three minutes that he spoke for. But as he's speaking, they are receiving this truth about Jesus and believing it. Clearly, it is because they are believing that they are responding. And what does Jesus do? As they believe and receive him, Jesus just baptizes them with the Holy Spirit. You know? It's like, yep, I see you. There you go. And he just baptizes them with the Holy Spirit. And so Peter and the other six Jewish men who have accompanied him, 
and it's possible all those six were also on the day of Pentecost with Peter and the disciples, right? It's possible. But in any case, whether they were there on the day of Pentecost or not, they clearly recognize that the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon these people. And they see the manifestation of it with the fact that they're speaking in tongues. And so they are amazed, they marvel at it, but they don't deny that it is the Holy Spirit. And they say, oh, we see that the Holy Spirit has been poured out, that the Holy Spirit has been given to them. Now, let me say this. I've made two or three references now to the fact that this filling of the Holy Spirit is not just a one-time thing. It is a continual thing. It's that we must desire it and be filled with the Spirit and stay with the Spirit always. But it, that, that statement that I'm making is really based on Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, which says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What is that, what is that, what is that giving you a picture of? Walking in a path. Walking in the way, walking according to Jesus. And when we're walking in the way, we are keeping in step with the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit is walking right there. And he's, he's, he's showing us where we must put our feet. He's showing us what is that firm step that we must take. And so we keep in step. We don't fall behind. We don't run ahead. We don't get distracted to the side to the right or to the left. We keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So that requires us to be filled with the Spirit continually. And we say, oh Lord, Lord, help me to stay in step with you. And what is fascinating, what is not just fascinating, what is, what is so true of the Word of God, it doesn't just say keep in step with the Spirit. The rest of that, at least those verses surrounding this in Galatians chapter 5, because in familiar verse, because in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In general, you don't need all of this when you're dealing with God. But you definitely need all of this when you're dealing with people. And so the Bible is telling us that when we keep in step with the Spirit, when we are filled with the Spirit, when we rely on the Holy Spirit, that's when we can have healthy relationships. That's when we can love, truly love. That's when we can be joyful even when all things are, you know, all sorts of stuff is going on. That's when we can have peace that guards our hearts and our minds. That's when we can be patient with people. How many times, Lord? How many times? No, we are patient, forgiving. We're kind. We're good. We're faithful. We're gentle. Gentle. And we're self-controlled. Because those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And we live by the Spirit to be kept in step with the Spirit so that we would not become conceited, proud, or provoke each other. Parents provoke their children all the time. Children provoke their parents more often. 
We provoke each other all the time. All the time. We're like doing something, right? We don't mean to, but we do it. How should we be kept from that? How do we be kept in this kind of peace and healthy relationship? Be filled with the Spirit. We would just call out to the Lord. You know, Cornelius and his household, they didn't go through some big process. They just heard, they believed, they received, and Jesus just filled. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives may look different for each person. Certainly, as we have spoken before, the spiritual gifts that the Lord gives us should be different in each person so that we can, you know, one with another, complement one another to, to function as one body. Right? We, we look for that. We look to be of different giftings in the Holy Spirit so that we can help each other. But when we come together in these ways, we want to encourage one another and say, oh, be filled with the Spirit. Just call out to the Lord. Just ask Him and let Him do it. And as He manifests the filling of the Spirit in you, let Him have His way. If it is to speak in tongues, speak in tongues. If it is to minister in other ways and to do things and to serve, serve, do. But let the Holy Spirit have his way in you. And then this final point, we want to be in fellowship. When we are coming to the Lord, we're not called to come to him in isolation. We're called to come to the Lord Jesus as members of the body of Christ. Not in isolation. We don't function by ourselves. We function with the body. We're called to community. We're called to fellowship. The Jewish believers had to learn, had to understand that, oh, the Gentiles also are now called into this fellowship. But we also have to understand that there's a whole bunch of people around us, a whole bunch of people who need to hear the word, a whole bunch of people who need to believe, that need to come into fellowship, community, with us, with another local church, with some expression where the Lord is moving and directing so that together, collectively, we would be in the body of Christ. We would be spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. We would be encouraging one another. We would be standing with one another. Let me, let me, let me say that Maintaining or establishing and maintaining this kind of fellowship is not easy. All you have to do is look at the way that Peter was criticized. Right? He comes back to Jerusalem and they're criticizing him. Oh, you went in and you ate, you know, you didn't keep kosher, right? You, you went in and ate with these, with these Gentiles. How could you have done that? I mean, they criticized him. And you can look around you, all the, you know, all the different things that are going on and all sorts of divisions that happen in the church. It's very clear that maintaining this fellowship is not easy. And in the flesh, it is impossible. But we have to still be coming back to the Lord. We don't give up on it. We don't say, oh, church, oh, terrible thing. And I'm not going to church. No, we say, no. We seek out the fellowship of the saints. We seek out the fellowship with our brothers and sisters because that's what the Lord wants for us to do as we build together, as iron sharpens iron, as we live together in that way, as we care for each other. So, 
If you've ever wondered how to respond to someone who says, what's Christianity all about? Or if more, you know, in a more direct way, if somebody has been asking you, what is this New Life Fellowship Church all about? This church that you've been going to, I see you've been going to this church. What's this New Life Fellowship Church all about? Here's how you can respond. We believe in Jesus. We testify him in water baptism. We seek to be continually filled in the spirit. We make every effort to live in peace with all people and harmonious fellowship of purpose and worship with our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. That's what we're about. So this morning, how do we respond to this word of God? We say, Lord, you establish godly patterns of living in me. You do all this in me. You let these pillars be sure and firm, but around it, all the pattern, all the stuff, all the structure, everything that has to be there, the construct of our lives, let it all come together in you, Lord Jesus. Do it. We worship you. And when we apply this word of God, we apply by believing in Jesus, by being water baptized, by being filled in the spirit and fellowshipping with the body of Christ. Now, let me say this. I make no demand of you. I'm not saying to you, you better do this or else don't even come to New Life Fellowship Church. If you have not done any of these things, if you have not believed in Jesus, if you have not said, Lord, I'm seeking you, come. Keep coming. Keep hearing the word of God. Keep listening. Keep interacting. Keep joining us online. Because I believe that the Lord Jesus will speak to you. It's not my demand. It's not my, I can't compulse, you know, you know I, I, I can't force, nothing. But I can, as faithfully as I can, speak this word every single Sunday and say, this is what the word is calling us to. This is what the word is asking us to do. I ask you, I implore you, re respond. Respond to the Lord Jesus, who will be faithful to keep his word and save you from your sins. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that your word is so good for us, so powerful for us, so complete for us. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that this word that has been spoken this morning will touch every single heart. Lord, for those that have believed in you, Lord, reignite, light that fire. The fire that burned in their hearts when they realized, when their hearts were on fire for you, Lord, when they realized that they had been saved from sin, saved from destruction. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that you did that. But today, Lord, reignite that fire, that passion. Let the beauty and the glory and the message of salvation ring afresh in our ears. And Lord, for those that have believed, those that have been baptized, those that have, Lord, received you and said, oh, Holy Spirit, come, Lord God, let us keep persevering and continually die to self and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you would build us up as a fellowship, 
as a community of faith. Lord, we are in the first month of this year. Before the end of this year, we are asking you, Lord, for many, many new people. Those that we don't know even. Maybe those that we've known and, Lord, have been resistant to the gospel. But before the end of this year, we declare in faith. We speak it and we declare it and we pray with hope that many, many others would be joined into this fellowship. Many others would be joined into the body of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you will do this. Thank you, Lord, that it is you that builds the church. Thank you, Lord, that it is your promise to do so. So we, Lord, go as witnesses. We share a simple message about Jesus. And we rely on you to work in the hearts of the hearers so that they may believe and that they may be saved. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.